0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back here to the Mark Steiner Show. Good to have you with us here uh, on WEAA, the voice of the community. We want you to join in at 410-319-8888. We want you to write to us here by email at talk at org. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Log on to our Facebook pages. We already have a Facebook comment from one of our listeners. For today's program, we are here with uh, in this first hour with three of our city council representatives. Three more will join us in the second hour. In this first hour, we have Councilman Ryan Dorsey from the 3rd District. Thank you, Mark. Good to have you here. Councilman Robert Stokes from the 12th District. Thank you, Mark. And Councilwoman Shannon Snead from the 13th District.
1: Good morning. With
0: her newest constituent in tow, little Ray. We'll join in the conversation, I'm sure, from time to time if she feels like it. Uh, and you all can join us here again at 410-319-8888. Well, there's only one place to start this conversation, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll let you do that, Mark. <laughs> and so this controversy between you and the commissioner. he was on What the... controversy between me and the commissioner? <laughs> he was on another radio station, I think, just the other day, kind of, It was WBL uh, to kind of lambasting, again, uh, your tweet about the police officers and abuse uh, and the FOP and and around that. So have you had a chance to talk to the commissioner? Where is all this?
2: No, I haven't. um, Not yet. Um, I think I should make clear that, you know, this for me is not about any problem with the police commissioner uh, at its root. Um, He's welcome to comment however he wants, on whatever he wants, and he can even use Twitter for that if he wants. Um, I didn't say anything about him, um, and I didn't hear him say anything that refuted in any way anything that I said.
0: But the, the, the argument was, and the controversy seems to be built around whether the, the, his taking umbrage at what you said as a kind of attack on the city police officers and their integrity. I mean, that's how it was, it was seen, by him and by, I guess, some of the police officers, in fact, right?
2: Yeah, you know, um, the issue that I heard voiced was with this um, assertion that I lumped all police together. You know, let's just be clear. It's, it's documented. It's a matter of fact that police officers in Baltimore City have beaten, have abused, have killed people in Baltimore City. Uh, I'm not sure that I have to sugarcoat that by simply saying police misconduct and um, I'm not sure that I have to necessarily make qualifying statements that use the word all or some in order to affect you know, initiating a, a meaningful discussion around serious issues in Baltimore City. Um, And I think it's probably a certain level of willful ignorance that allows somebody to read a colloquial term like y'all and necessarily construe that to mean the emphasis is on all rather than on you as a general kind of collective term.
0: Do you think, do we think collectively, the police officers should or have to live in the city of Baltimore?
2: I would prefer personally if every municipal employee in Baltimore City uh, lived in Baltimore City, like many other places. Um, on the whole, we are paying non-city residents. I did a, I requested a list of uh, the payroll, including names and addresses of every employee in the city, which we have about 13,000 at the very, basically at the outset of the term. And uh, my review of that showed that non-city residents who work for the city of Baltimore are being paid on the whole 50% more than city residents who, who work for this city. Um, that accounts for a large, uh, you know, I used the word siphon in my tweet, but I, I could use the word exodus, a large exodus of capital from our general fund, from primarily uh, city residents property taxes going into the city coffers and then being taken out to other places people can say what they want about you know the right to live and wherever they want and that we shouldn't stand in the way of that but at the end of the day like city residents uh deserve to have a cyclical economy i believe
0: so let let me let me switch gears here a bit i mean and i i i was at a town not i was at a community meeting the other night um in forest park at uh Liberty School Number 64 that Kim Trueheart and others had called, and um, uh, and it was interesting, there were two council members there. Councilman Burnett and Councilwoman Middleton were in attendance at that meeting. It had to do with violence in the community, so let's get into that. And two of the officers there representing the police department were both black officers, both of whom lived in Baltimore City, one of whom lived in the neighborhood just in Glen Oak, uh, near between Howard Park and Forest Park, and they said they were dedicated to, as some of the residents said, to kind of being community officers and answering police and answering um, the messages and whatever they needed to from people in the community. So having said that, let's get into this issue, which I think is the larger issue here and not into, the, into the, what's going on between the commissioner and you, Ryan, um, uh, but to talk about this mandatory minimum issue. Um, and it's going be, and it's a huge battle, obviously. And it was interesting to me that when the when the press conference was called, that um, state's attorney Mosby was not at the press conference. That was glaring to me that she was not at the press conference, nor did she said anything outright in support or in opposition to this uh, mandatory minimum law that uh, the council president and the mayor want to put into effect. Um, there was one council person at that t- hearing, if I was recall correctly, but, I mean, at the press conference. Um, there were,
3: I think, three, right? Robert mm-hmm. was there.
0: You were there, too. You were, were you there? Eric? Councilman
3: Burnett and— uh, mm-hmm. No, Chris out. Burnett was not I mean, there. not Burnett. I mean, Pinkett. Councilman Pinkett and— Pinkett, Pinkett. was Pinkett. And 5th uh, District Councilman, Councilman you see Schleifer. Slifer. Yeah. Slifer yeah. Was Eric there? No. Yes. Yeah. So. No, but he was supporting it. He, was, he on was on vacation.
0: There. So do we? So let's talk about what this means. I mean, and uh, we have already emails and people calling in. There's two Facebook posts that we have already about it, which I will read hopefully in the course of this hour. But let's talk about that. Where do we stand on this mandatory minimum? From the three of you?
1: So Ooh. I've Shannon been able cool to say that I um, don't support the bill as is. Um, I think it needs a whole bunch of amendments to it. Um, I just don't think oh let's go off of facts studies have shown that um it doesn't stop crime and so to me why would we go backwards to me uh, they say what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and so other cities have tried this other places have tried it and so now we're going to do it like that doesn't make sense to me well,
3: ducks. what ha- what works in one city doesn't mean it won't work here. And I'm gonna use analysis. We have a new director of DOT. She ran the transportation system in D.C. I sat down and talked to her. She said she cannot take the transportation how she ran the transportation in D.C. and use it in Baltimore City. Right now, people are getting murdered in the street like animals. I talk to people in the community, the seniors that want to come out the house. We have to do something in terms of getting this crime rate down. If we talking about moving more homeowners into the city, if we talking about keeping businesses here and bringing and keeping businesses here and bringing business to Baltimore, we got to deal with this crime rate. Uh, you hear people in the community say, "Well, the judges ain't doing nothing." Right now, the, the law is thirty days, maybe less than that, with suspended sentence. The idea is to make people understand that there is a consequence to carry an illegal gun in Baltimore City. And right now, it's just if you get caught with a gun now, if you're under 18, you out in less than 30 days and you back out. And there have been instances where somebody was in co- uh, got caught with a gun not more than one time and came back out and murdered somebody. So we have to address the crime issue in Baltimore City. Kids can't sit out on the front. Parents can't sit out on the porch. People getting shot. I had a, uh, up on Bonaparte. They had a shootout. that killed a, a guy and a girl. Older lady living their block. It's, the bullet went through her window. It's almost always. It's already been a month. Woman ain't never been out the house yet. She's 93 years old. People scared. I also mentioned to some of the, uh, the, the police officers, when they have their community meetings, they have it at the police station. You got to build trust with the community and the police. Take it out of the police station because, one, people that get locked up don't want to go. And people that not get locked to go there for a meeting, they don't want to go. So you take it to some of the senior buildings where your seniors are at. They have community rooms and have your meeting there. That's how you start building trust back with the community.
2: Ryan? Mm-hmm. Um, there are really a lot of ways to look at how this is wrongheaded legislation. Um, this, I think, is... Uh, A bill that maybe makes some people feel like we're doing something meaningful in the moment without um, looking at the real long-lasting impacts that are exceptionally reasonable for us to be able to expect, the negative impacts that this will have on individuals and communities. Aside from the fact that the police uh, department and the state's attorney's office have been adamant about going after, um, you know, violent repeat offenders, trigger pullers, as they say, um, and coupling that with statements repeatedly about how it is an incredibly small number of people, relatively small number of people who are committing the preponderance of violence in the city, um, this bill seeks to cast a dragnet on a large swath of the population that is out there just um, fearing for their lives. We have created a city in which drug trade is a reasonable uh, economic means for a lot of people, and um, this has uh, devastated Communities in a, you know at the same time, so you have not just people engaged in drug trade, but you know possibly many other just everyday people in the city carrying weaponry just uh, out of their own safe uh, sake of uh, feeling safe in their community or in their you know. Uh, Profession, as the case may be,
1: and they already say gun charges are down. So you have to get, you have to arrest people with with guns to get gun charges. The arrests are down. The the, the, it's showing it here. They've been down for the last few years. So all of a sudden, that's going to change. It's
2: there's no evidence to show that the threat of spending any time in jail at all actually staves off crime that would lead to jail time
0: further there is no uh, that <laughs> i'll just, I'll so, just uh, i do want to get the phones here a lot of people calling in we have a bunch of tweets that came in but robert do you have a quick thought here before i hit the phones? well
3: you know we again we have to do something we introduced the, the the legislation and the council. Then, well, we need to come up with our own plan. But we got to do something about this crime problem in Baltimore City. But the idea that as we of need to do as something. of as of yesterday, when we had a council meeting, it was 187 people murdered. I woke up this morning, this morning. There's 188. We got to address the crime problem. We got after-school programs. We got training programs. But that's not the people that are actually out there doing the killing. But These there's no
2: evidence well, to it. say that this. Bill, okay, then. So this kind so, of action would do anything. Okay. In fact, it makes it worse. There's lots of evidence that shows that jail time makes but induces you greater trauma. So every time you put somebody in jail, they're coming back out more so traumatized. So how do you address it then, Counselor? What's to, your plan? Engage in recidivism. What's your plan? Look, we have brilliant minds throughout What's Baltimore. What's your plan, so though? I don't, I don't have to be put on the hook to single-handedly come up with a plan to okay, know that well this one is a bad Okay, on well, you criticize
3: other plans, but we... This is not a plan. This is not a
2: plan well, it's it, the fight, by crime. any stretch of the imagination. It's to fight
3: crime. You got a so solution? What's your solution?
1: So my solution would be that we invest more money into education. My, my solution is that we do all the things on the front here. I'm not saying that this can't ever, ever happen, but... But if we were trying everything on the front end, if we were putting more money into education, if we were making sure that our our young people were leaving schools with skills, if we were targeting um, offenders, repeat offenders, then I would have something to say about it. like. But we're not. It's the same folks that's doing the murders and the crime. And I would really say something to the parents because I've had family members murdered in my family, and so I still feel strongly about this bill. That this is not the way. And then you look at ways of. Um, Of folks not addressing their kids and not spending time with their kids it's a family issue it's a parenting issue as as well to me and so those are things that we are not looking at we are not looking at the whole family and how to sustain the whole family to me this just breaks the family up more I think it just targets more people I'm like let's look at the bullets Mm -hmm. I feel like so many people they say so many kids in our in um, in Baltimore City Philadelphia Chicago are introduced oh to guns at like 12 and 13 years old so you're introducing a cold culture to these kids and now all of a sudden we're going to be locking them up and don't get me wrong I don't believe that the illegal guns should be on the street I got it I'm just saying that it has to be other ways to target the folks who are doing something even if they said listen the guys who are caught with bullets in their guns um, I would be like, okay, you, you clearly you intend to to shoot and kill, but I I know for a fact that all of these guys don't have bullets in their in their guns, um, and I know that it, it just hurts Baltimore City. Well,
0: no let, more. So let me say something. Then then the here, I've probably. been a
3: supporter of unions for training after school programs. I'm gonna use a good example. Why is Carver and Dunbar, I mean Carver and Merville, closed at 3:30 during the week? And in the summertime they close they have a good program there to teach them how to be licensed plumbers or electricians. that should be open in the evening so we get opportunities to not to our young people absolutely but opportunities to older adults that might want to come M- in M- and M- give M- would
0: you would you would you support the idea that you take money from the police budget to put into the schools to keep them open
3: yeah i think you should you we invest more money in the police uh, police uh, budget I think the school system, but the school system need to invest more money, too. If you you want to have that
2: conversation, you can tie it together with this whole uh, extremely few people are creating the violence in the city. For one police officer's salary, you could create three decent-paying jobs for trigger
0: pullers and get them off the street and out of the drug trade. So let, let me open the phones here and get, the, get some of these comments in here. Let me first read these tweets that have come in. Keisha has tweeted a couple of things. Let me read those first. Keisha Media Watchdog. Um, What's up, Keisha? Uh, not for nothing, counselors should invite public comment at its regular meetings, even cap at five people for three minutes, and sign up 24 hours in advance. Um Cheers to Mayor Pat Clark for always being reflective of the, of the of the Baltimore that is, not the Baltimore that people uh, want to hide from. Um, She's tweeting a lot. I'll get to see those tweets in a moment. I also want to read. Um, uh, this is a post um, that was posted on our website by us. Uh, should Baltimore police officers be required to live in the city? What do you think? So far, of course, uh, and so far we have one, of course, and one, no. Uh, Valerie just uh, emailed me and told me that. Uh, And um, let me see this. Also, we have this from Facebook. Uh, We have a post from Jacob Simpson. "I, I am in favor of gun control measures, as every other person with common sense is. I would do just about anything to rid my beloved hometown of the gun violence that's taken too many lives. All that to say, this is not the answer. This is not... This is far from the answer that I'm angry that is being proposed. It continues the same old trap of American politics, namely that all social woes can be solved by respective vacuums. I was disappointed with many on the left who supported the Democrats' push to ban weapons from people who are on the no-fly list. Um, bah, 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 because Baltimore has a myriad of complex issues uh, that extend beyond the stopgap measures, fiscal investment and in citizens who live here are not the ones who want to move investment education jobs, etc., let me go to the phones at 410 319 Leon, you're on the air. What's your thought?
4: Good morning
0: to all of you. Good morning, But Leon. you
4: know, putting these people in jail, locking them up, charging them, is not doing anything for them. There's no re- rehabilitation in jail, okay? If you commit a crime with a gun, I believe, yes, lock you up. But you must be put to work back in the society that you commit the crime look if you commit a crime and kill we must chain you and even if you have to chip the paint of a hydrant and repaint it but you must work no more sitting in jail and having 13 babies you must come out and do something back for society not only that things can be changed we must rehabilitate these people, not only that, once you are sentenced, you you cannot continue to go in and out of jail just because we are allowing you to. There's no okay. restraint. All right?
0: Leon, we got that. I think it's a really important. I mean, I, I think it's important. Our prison system doesn't do anything to, to help people come back to society at all. They just dump people back in the street. But what he's saying also
2: is that serving jail time increases the likelihood of entering a cycle of recidivism. Well, so you're not actually staving off the committing of crimes by putting people in jail.
3: Well, I know at one time the, the correction system, when you went to jail, they had programs there for you, go to school in jail, but uh, unfortunately that was taken out, I believe, and we need to go back probably and talk to the General Assembly and the Governor. But instead we're talking
0: about entering people into a harmful system.
3: But right now we still have to address the crime problem in Baltimore City, the murder rate.
0: So let's get a call in here before we go to break and come back and go back to our council representatives. Hank, you're on the air. Welcome.
3: Good
5: day, young man. Hi, Hank. Uh, Here's my thing, right? How about this? Since gun manufacturers are not going to stop manufacturing guns, right? How about we just automatically put chips and guns to automatically be it, And then we don't have to worry about who's allowed to get a gun because only the first who's supposed to get a gun can fire the gun. Right? Now, here's the other thing about this, right? Y'all keep talking about, uh, uh, what's it it? You take half of these kids that's out here on these streets and you just imagine you let them based and send them into these houses, which you can't down. let them refurbish them houses. Then you can bring people into the city, but you want ten thousand people to come in. Now you got historic property value because the house has been fixed up. The sweetest thing in the world ever said to me was my my son mother said you need to talk to your son. Your son said he don't need a high school education. His father owns his own company and he's going to be like his father. So if you stupid young dudes out here on a call if they have a real job, as opposed to standing on the corner making drug-selling a job, then maybe they'll have kids who will look up to them. They'll be dying, trying to make sure that they kids
0: Okay, hang you're kind of breaking up, so it's hard to hear everything you're saying. But
2: That's a great example.
0: I mean, yep. that's how you
2: kind of kill two birds with one stone, right? Teach somebody a skill and give them a job and uh, begin to do more to rid the city of lead
3: and that's why i said we need to open up mervo and carver and provide that skill so they the kids our younger kids and adults can have a skill in the community so they can provide and take care of their families
0: but do, let me ask a question but do you think so so the question i have robert for you is and let me and i will read these um facebook messages that just came in the next caller up is imani and mike you're going to get your calls as well I mean, what do you think a mandatory minimum will do? I mean, do you, why do you think that will be the solution to the problem we're facing? Well, I think it,
3: the reason why it's, it's there, because you have to give people a conscience to let them know if they carry an illegal gun, that they can get a year in jail. Right now, the, the, criminals, the criminals know the law better than we do, because they already know if they get caught with illegal gun, it's either 30 days or less, or at the discretion of the judge, it's a suspended sentence. But we had
2: the death penalty, and that didn't kill and stop people from committing crimes that, you know, at one point when, when we had that, that would that would result in death penalties and the, the, Life
0: sentences aren't enough. So, I mean, this is well, – so, <coughs> pardon me. Someone else has written about this. I mean, they're saying that – this is a response from one of our listeners. My greatest worry, you take young, traumatized, poorly educated, terrified, trying to survive black boys – who just dipped their toe into the game, got themselves a gun, holding it for a big brother or a member of a gang they aspire to join, or someone carrying out a fear because their cousin just got shot, or guys posing as big shots when they're really punks, then you put them in jail long enough to be even more traumatized, deeply traumatized, exactly. schooled in survival, to learn the trade, find mentors in crime, and come out ready to be serious about tearing the place up. Exactly. So, and and then... and and. and um, Brother, the person writes in saying, taking sentencing power from judges and giving it to prosecutors is shifting decisions from the justice sector to the political sector. Prosecutors are politicians, and you might like you um, and you might like this when come the next election. You might not like the next. Well,
3: well, that's why when I go to my community meetings in my district, people are always saying, why are the judges not doing anything because they go by what's in front of them.
0: But but one of the things that was in, this, in the Sun this morning, an interesting editorial where they're saying, we don't know why judges let people right. go. There may be a lot of complex reasons why you, why you do that. I mean, you know, like if you, like, let's put it this way. When I was a kid, most people didn't carry guns, but we carried switchblades and knives and razors often in the street. And people did it not because I wanted to hurt you, because I was terrified that someone wants to hurt me.
3: So is your gun registered even though you bought it?
0: Of course, it's not registered.
3: Okay, that's another problem too. Right. So this still considered illegal or what? But you never
0: had to register a switchblade.
3: Is it? We're not talking about a switchblade. We're talking about guns now.
2: No, but what I'm saying is people. When can't. it was the the instrument of the time. Well, we, we talked about playing field now. What you're talking about is one person trying to abide by the law okay, and so and give up right? their unregistered so so gun so and then be a, a victim so somebody so somebody else. before we go to so break,
0: same thing about this. We'll come back and talk about this from this break. So what do you tell your constituents? When they're next to our neighbor, someone's just shot and killed. And you're saying, I'm not for mandatory minimums. What are you saying to that man or woman about their children, their loved one, their father, the mother, who was just killed, and what you intend to do about that to stop the violence in the streets? We've got to take a break. We'll come back to that, okay? And we're going to come right back to the phones as well. And Imani, the next caller up, we're going to read these tweets coming in. A lot happening. Don't go away. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. I'm here with Councilwoman Shannon Sneed of the 13th. I'm sorry, do that again. I'm moving much too fast. My lips are moving faster than, I, than my words are here. Councilman Shannon Sneed, 13th District, Councilman Robert Stokes from the 12th, and Councilman Ryan Dorsey from the 3rd, and you all of 410-319-8888. Before I get to reading these emails, go back to the phones. I'd like to answer the question, answer, answer the question that I was actually directed at all three of you, but starting with with, with Shannon and Ryan and going, to Robert, what do you say to your constituents when they say, I can't live like this?
1: So as soon as the press conference was over, we got calls and emails to the office uh, saying, I hope you don't support, um, and that I had a child or a cousin murdered. I Then I picked up the phone myself um, and spoke to um, two folks that I know who lost their son, um, and one in Baltimore City and within the last couple of months. And I said, um, what do you think about this? And so she said, this is not the answer this is not the answer. She said, "We have you have to do something else because this is not it. Let's look at bullets. Um, let's look at um, other um, ideas that folks are doing in the city. Let's look at jobs. I mean, she just named a whole list of things that she thinks um, is the problem with this and how we can solve some of the issues. So. Um,
0: and what would you say to your constituents, Ryan, who live in, the, in who, who have just experienced this?
2: I'm in the same position as Councilwoman Sneed um, that this is not the answer, um, but that obviously. But what answer can life. you
0: give me? If my 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 next one has been shot. What an, what, an, what 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 answer can you give me?
2: I I hope that we're creating opportunities for you to treat your grief first and foremost. That that. We realize that trauma is impacting a great many people in the city and we need to take great care to address trauma and all of the roots of it um and that that means building a better city that works for everybody for to create opportunity and access to to jobs and to education and to transportation and decent housing <coughs> without lead paint in it um that we these problems are not going to go away overnight and Implementing uh, things that we call solutions that simply get the violent, the the rate of homicide down from 300 to 275 um, are not real solutions. We need to invest with our money, with our votes in the council, uh, to to implement programs that invest in root level solutions.
0: And Robert, let me ask you this question. I mean, so so you you. Do you think it's more effective to create mandatory minimums to put people in jail for carrying a gun? Or do you think the stuff you're actually working on, the other thing you're proposing in the council, may actually have more effect on violence than putting somebody in jail for a year? Uh, to wit, you, you want to create this fund that that's a, like a legal defense fund for tenants to be able to go to court, which we need in this city, to defend themselves against being thrown out in the street. That might have more of an effect on the issue of violence than... Putting people in jail for it just because they're carrying a gun—not just because, but because they're carrying a gun.
3: Well, we know in Baltimore City there always been some economic disparities in education and employment. Um, last year in February, I did a symposium of African American home ownership and wealth because that's happening in mostly African American communities. We had a hundred people show up to come to the Reginald Lewis Museum, and it was addressing the Federal Reserve was that was addressing these banks who supposed to be lending called community investment money and they haven't been doing it so out of that actual um, um symposium we found out that we could uh, train more community associations about getting a cdc so they can invest and develop and rehab vacant houses in their neighborhood Then you can hire people from the community that money stays in the community then you can provide services there's a new uh, I was just at a groundbreaking about two months ago. There's a uh, mental health, because there's a lot of mental health issues we're not talking about. How do we get them into mental health? And there's a new one called Better Tomorrow Starts Today that located at North Avenue and Harford Road. That's a good program. We need to start looking at the mental health. We never addressed it before, now it then came to the point where it needs to be some be addressed a little bit
0: more. So one of the things I think we have to talk about also is how do you redirect how do you change people's mindset about um, uh, not mindset, but how do you change the conversation about how we spend the city's money, how we spend the city's budget? You have no power to do that. The mayor has all the power at the moment. Yes. And that is a problem. Because, I mean, to control how the money is being spent for our city, is, this is, to me, this is the crux of the issue. Well,
3: Mark, you know, this is the first time that the whole city council stuck together and stu- Which I thought stuck was with an their important time. and saying, look, this is our priority, safe streets. We talk about safe streets when we had the budget hearing, I'm the one that said we need to have safe streets in every district. It went on deaf ears.
2: But it, but it's it's certainly uh, to some degree a pyrrhic victory. Okay, we stood together. That's great. But like the police budget is still $500 million, and we can't even leverage more bond money to uh, to. Do more capital investment because we have no idea how much the police overtime is going to end up costing us. The, po- the director of finance just told me last week it's literally the police overtime that's keeping us from being able to borrow more money in order to be able to invest in other things like like better uh, water and 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 road maintenance, housing development. Uh, and pub- we could be we could be building more public housing.
0: So let me, re- let me go to the phone, see if I might, everybody. This is really an interesting conversation. And uh, let me say, Linda K. Brown just put this on Facebook. She said, how about giving those who are caught with legal, le- illegal guns a choice? A year of incarceration or a year of intense therapy, counseling, mentoring, and education in a lock facility designed for that purpose or an internship or job and housing when they, uh, when they exit, the latter not necessarily in Baltimore.
3: And I think that's a think. great idea. I think, but we need to just address it. If we have to add that to it, I think it should be. You know, even if even if they do a, a I'm just putting it out there, even if they do a minimum a year in jail, do that still become a misdemeanor or a felony? Can you still be a misdemeanor? But we have to have opportunities for them saying, you have a contract. If you get caught with another gun, you have to do this, this, and that. You have to get into a training program. That I think is great.
0: Let me open the phones here and read this piece answering the question that Ryan raised. Uh, Valerie posted this on our Facebook page. Should Baltimore police officers be required to live in the city? What do you think? Just some responses. Let me share those real quick and then go to the phones. Uh, Johnny it was five to two so far. John Emera says, I think it would help, but I think there would be a lot of resistance if it were officially required. Uh, Christine Stutz wrote in, recruitment is not is difficult enough as it is. If you add that requirement, not only will your applicant pool shrink significantly, it's likely that the caliber of the applicants will drop as well. Rose Kalka wrote, absolutely. Bill Hill wrote, no. And KMPA wrote, yes. So across the spectrum about should people be required to live in the city uh, as officers? Well, Well, the quality of
2: applicant argument is very similar to what we heard during the $15 hour minimum wage in which one guy referred, one business owner uh, who lives in I think a multi-million dollar house um, referred to the city's uh, applicant pool as like the living dead that you know, we just have uh, no-quality individuals in this. Which we you know is it, not true. It's totally, totally untrue, and it's 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 propaganda kind of
0: hyperbole. So let me put the phones. We'll come right back to Councilman soaks and Sneed, 410-319-8888. Let's go to Imani on the air. You've been holding on a while. Welcome.
6: Hi, how are you? Good morning, Imani. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, one of the, um, I guess, topics that I wanted to address with the mandatory minimums uh, as far as guns is concerned is are they also addressing how the illegal guns are getting on the street and are they looking to prosecute the shops or distributors who are uh, um, providing the guns because you have to find the source it's just like with drugs you need to find the you know the big drug dealer how are they getting them and um, But this gets at a
2: much bigger issue, I think. This is why federal gun law is so important, that you can have the strongest laws you want in one state, but if the next neighboring state doesn't have strong gun laws, it's always going to be easy for somebody to get them there and transport them across state lines. We have, I think, that this is as much an issue as anything else in Baltimore City. Uh, I think that that we really need to focus on what's within the city. I mean, if we're talking about what we, the people sitting at this table, can do, um, we really have to focus on what is within the power of the city council, and that is um, to redirect funding or uh, ensure that funding is used uh, in, in an appropriate way. For example, I just introduced a really big bill last night, Uh, on complete streets that says look we've only been accommodating people who have the good fortune to own cars Uh, in the way that we design our city public space, our roads. So we're making it really easy for people who own cars to, especially county residents, to come in and out of the city every day. And this, instead of accommodating the needs of the 30% of Baltimore City households who lack access to a car and the large number of city residents who rely on public transportation by allocating better space that's designated for buses, bicycles, pedestrians, um, we can actually legislate
0: things about how we use our money. So do you have a quick comments before we go back to the phones? Councilwoman Sneed, Councilman well, Stokes?
3: I know that the past administrations tried to offer some, some housing for police to stay in the city, but I think we need to go back and do a better recruitment in high schools because we have a lot of police, people say, that don't live in Baltimore but they need to ante up the recruitment and get more high school. Let me finish talking, sir. They need to recruit more, and I said this to the commissioner, and they said they they were doing it, but they need to put more emphasis on recruiting people from Baltimore City to be police in Baltimore City. When you don't put the emphasis there, then you're going to get outside police that don't live here, and don't have and, a dump, and, and and part of that, Robert, to me,
0: oblivious. is is like if you had a, if you had a program in our in our high schools let's say, mm-hmm. and I, mean, I think you have to restructure the entire police budget if we're going to do it and not give them as much money as they have. We're going to change the nature of our city. Having said that, though, if you had a high school program that was tied to a special course that was at BCCC right. uh, that actually got young men and women from our public high schools to go into a two-year program in our community in our community college in Baltimore City to help train them to be police and then put them on the street. That would go a huge way to change the nature of policing in the city. But we have to think Yeah, exactly. You have to think in a totally different way if we're going to make this happen. Shannon, you're going to say what? I'm sorry.
1: They brought the Explorer program back, so it should be uh, some Baltimore. The cadet program. Yeah, yeah, the cadet program back, so we we should see um, some. Folks, we an haven't, increase in we haven't
0: had a cadet program yeah. for a long time. Uh, exactly. and so, but, but let me get to you. are so gonna say something else. So,
1: that's the line. No, so that's it. So, as soon as you, we get those young people in the pipeline trained up and ready to go, then they can automatically, you know, kind of do the training get approval to, to switch over to, to be police officers. The problem
2: has been the drop off in the inter interim years between high school and be, and between eligibility. To become a police officer, right.
0: entering the academy again, this has to do with restructuring budgets and changing the nature of what we, how we spend our money in the city. If we're going to make this a, a model city for the world, yeah. which it can be, I believe. Absolutely, I have not. I Absolutely. do believe in us in our town. 410-319-8888. Uh three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Let's go to Mike. You're on the air. Line four, Mike. You're on the air. You there? Good morning, everyone. Good morning.
7: Good morning. It's so much to say that um, I, I don't want to get mixed up in, in trying to say what I'm uh, say. But, Councilman, you're all right. They should go back to the high schools to recruit uh, policemen. You know, that the, 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 the program is a wonderful program. It really is. And and I think that, you know, you have young minds there that, that are just beginning to realize what they want to do. And if they get the peer pressure, then they, they're not going to go in that direction. But if you you, you You approach them in high school, you know, you might have a chance. And another thing, the police can't be everywhere. It's nice if they're right there when when somebody's getting shot, that's fine. But other than that, people, you got to stand up and start telling. I'm sorry. Start telling? Don't even even people who have family members that were killed know who did it, but they won't say nothing. They won't say nothing. You know, and, and until then, you're going to continue to be terrorized because you won't stand up for yourself. You know what your mother told you about a bully, you know, if, if, until you stand up to them, they're going to keep messing with you. And that's how it's going to be.
1: Is, uh, so to a certain point, yes, I, I agree speak? with you because I remember the council president said one day he was like, "Hey, if your children are coming home and they have a new car and you don't know where that money is coming from, you don't know how they get that, how they got that car, you need to say something." So uh, to me, that goes back to a point too where we have to hold our young people, our our children, accountable. We gotta ask those questions, and I understand that parents are working. Um, a lot of kids are coming from single parent households, and they don't know a lot of times what's going on in their household, or they're not. Addressing it, they're turning the other eye, or the parents are just a bad example as well. And I feel like that goes back again to um, somebody has to have a conversation with some common sense, with some smarts to say, This is not going to be allowed. We will not have this.
3: And I agree with the gentleman on the phone. We got to go back and look at it in our house. We got to look at our house and how we clean our house and make our community safe. But also. you have
0: to—communities have to figure out a way to keep themselves safe, and the right. state's attorney has to have a program that protects people who are going to come out because people are scared. I mean, I understand standing up, but people are scared. Absolutely. Right? I but mean, I'm not
1: going to be scared of my own child. I'm sorry. Like, certain things I'm just not going to allow, And I guess because my mother didn't allow it either. Right. So certain things I just cannot stand for— and I hope I hope that's the issue. Like, you know, I know a lot's on the grandparents and a, a lot's on the parents, but it's, it comes back to I think to a certain extent. where we just have to say, call it as it is. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. So I'm
0: gonna get to the phone here very quick, Ryan. If you,
2: I mean, yeah, we-, we have to also invest in welcoming parent grandparents and parents to be part of kids' lives. We have a football league down the street here that has been volunteer run by one guy for ten years. And it's on a field that's not ADA accessible and has no seating along it. And I've got bleachers coming there for the first time. Oh, so the field that, right down the road. Right, the, right, right down the street uh, yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two blocks well, from Where kids here. practice
0: all the time, right, yeah, but that one guy. Right, yeah, right, grand, right. Seven
2: more than 70% of right. the kids playing, of uh, the hundreds of kids playing there are being raised by their grandparents who... It may, We make it easy for them to not participate by the field not being ADA accessible, and then once they get there, not having anywhere
0: to sit. Again, it's how we spend our money. And if, uh, the background, by the way, is a beautiful little baby named Ray, who is Shannon's kid, who's... Being passed around the studio, which is a good way to start our day. Four one zero three one nine eight eight eighty eight.
1: Thank God for my colleagues. Yeah. It takes a village. It takes a
0: village to raise a child. Ti- <laughs> takes a council to raise a child. Oh, yes. like, great village. <laughs> takes W A A too. That's right. Four one
3: zero three one nine eight
0: eight eighty eight. Doug, you're on the air. Welcome, line two. Good so
8: morning. Good morning. Good morning, Doug, good morning. Doug Colbert. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first assumption that I think is, has to be challenged is. This notion that judges are being light on sentences and that judges are not being tough on crime. I mean, anyone who goes into the courts, beginning from the moment when bail is denied, people who have guns and people are sitting in jail without any bail, so they're not getting out. I mean, you have to question that assumption. Judges are not soft on crime. If anything, there are far too many who are too harsh on sentencing and on on denying bail, on making sure that people are in jail, many of whom, some should be in jail and many of whom should not, in my opinion. But the other piece of this, Mark, is, you know, if we're talking about what to do, I mean, you can begin with the idea that when my students are looking for drug treatment programs for people who are ready to try to get off of their addiction, you cannot buy, you have to look high and far before you find something that's going to allow people to get into a good residential program. So we can start investing in drug treatment for those folks who want to uh, get off of their addictions. And then what future do most of the people have who are living in the inner city in Baltimore? You know, when you have over 50 percent unemployment, when you have schools that are not providing alternatives uh, to a future life. So you have to invest in people. You still have to go back to that, giving people an alternative to crime.
0: Doug, always good to hear from you. I'm glad you called in and, and uh, I mean, I think it's important. I think one thing is, if we had time on the air before we are shown the door that, that, um, <laughs> that, that would be great to have a conversation about is really understanding what happens in the courts. Who's let go and why? I mean, and who's put in, incarcerated and why? We have this myth that judges keep letting people go. And I think part of it is real. Part of it is also mythology. We've built this thing up to a much, being a much larger than it really is. And I think that's something that people should really kind of, we, we don't know that. It would be good to see an able Foundation, some other foundation actually doing a study about what that really meant and what the effect is because we really don't know other than hyperbole.
2: It's interesting, too. This, this um, rings of the thing that, the police department's government relations person, Jim Gillis, who has been the kind of the the voice of this bill, uh, said just yesterday to the council that the the state's attorney, not just the the state the elected one, but um, but deputy state's attorneys, you know, they have to take uh, an oath to uphold justice or to seek justice, and so do judges. And I think that it's not unreasonable to think that judges understand that that jail, the jail and prison are inherently damaging and that it is not the, the best pursuit of justice to put people in jail, actually. Right before
0: we hit the phones again.
3: Uh, I think, you know, the school system, we need to go back to teaching African-American history because a lot of times our young African-Americans don't know their history. And there are a lot of actual community associations that's doing some great things in this city. You know, and sometimes they get unnoticed. So we need to bring uh, African American history back into Baltimore schools. That's so important for our young people to know exactly what their history is, and that's Amen not to being that. taught.
0: So let me read these two things again in response to what we started off with Ryan and, and about police living in the city. We have two more comments. Let me just read those comments, get this kind of interesting spectrum of people thinking about this on our Facebook page. Johnny Mara writes in, for what it's worth, I think the issue of living in one place while working in another is not unique to the Baltimore Police Department. It's across professional fields in Baltimore and contributes to the lack of investment in our city. And then Don Douglas wrote in, uh, yes, I think they should live in the city, especially if they aren't native to the Maryland area. If they live in the city, then they are closer to what's going on and have a vested interest in the community to which they work and live in. So people are into the subject about where police officers should live and how we can encourage that. Um, let us uh, go back to the phones. Let's, if anyone wants to jump in here with a quick thought, 410-319-8888. Uh, Clarence, you're on the air. Line three.
9: Hey, thanks, Mr. Steiner. Good morning. Um, you know, good morning. To you and your guests, Mr. Steiner, I think it would be unconscionable for me to ask you to wear that microphone home and sleep with it and wake up and wash your face in the morning with it. If that's <laughs> true, if, if that's if that's your I'm not going to let a microphone
0: come between me and my wife. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but, you know... Sorry. <laughs> a, a, a police officer,
9: you know, if that's his choice to live in the city, then allow that. Even offer him an incentive to do that. But don't require him to do that because living in Baltimore City, you never have any downtime. And I believe they deserve that.
0: That's an interesting uh, point.
9: Uh, Mr. Steiner, let me tell you what a friend of mine told me. He says when he wants to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and walk his dog in Drew Hill Park or anywhere else in the city, if he wants to go to a store at 4 a.m. in the morning, yep. he's going to do so, and he's not going to let the criminals interfere with, decrease the quality of his life or an oppressive law. So that should be a reality check to the city council. Um, you, you, you can't have it both ways. It's not going to work both ways because people have the right to um, their lives, not bothering or breaking any laws, per se, and they shouldn't be inhibited by that, by the criminals or the law. Now, if it takes that mentality to protect yourself, if you've got to go strapped, then so be it. Let the criminal beware. Thank
0: you. Well, and there are people who are, quote-unquote, strapped who are not criminals.
2: That's true. Right. But I think I think it's good to remind people when we talk about this whole residency requirement uh, idea that we're prohibited at the state <laughs> level <laughs> from from requiring it. In 1995 during the uh, yeah, coincidentally I don't know during the tenure of Baltimore's first elected black mayor the state decided that it would not be legal for any jurisdiction in the state to impose residency requirements on their municipal workforce. Um, plenty of other states have never put such a um, a, a law in place, um, preempting jurisdictions. Chicago's entire municipal work workforce lives in the city. Boston, New York. Plenty of other places have these laws. We are prohibited at the state level. I would like to see that change. Hey, Ryan,
0: give that kid back her toy.
3: There you go. <laughs> Sorry, man. She didn't want it. I tried to give it back to her. She wanted to
0: grab my hat. And you tried to keep it. That's true. Also. I'm not going to deny it. So... Uh- Robert, were you about to say something
3: before we hit the phone here? No, I, I think uh, what Ryan, Councilman Ryan said, th- no mayor required that. It had nothing to do with whoever they was, black or white. No mayor required no, we residency. No, had, we had
2: a residency requirement in the city. It, it, and then in
3: 1995,
2: the state prohibited us from it doing was, it. But
3: it was never enforced either.
2: Okay, but we had it.
0: But, but it wasn't enforced. And
2: it wasn't illegal for us to do it
3: wasn't enforced. Plenty
2: of other places
0: have it. I mean, it. There, I, mean there, there, I mean, it is an argument we had. I mean, p- people make the argument that if, we, that if Baltimore does that, then c- the county could retaliate and say city, city people can't be worked the county. We are paying
2: the, the 50% of our municipal workforce who does not live in the city. On the whole, we are paying them 50% more than the people who live here. That's a huge allocation of our resources that never come back into the city coffers. Because they have the money to go. Mm-hmm. We're giving them the means to go somewhere so, else and then complaining about the loss of our tax
0: base. So where do you – let me ask you before we go here, but there's two things really quickly to ask. And, and folks who have not gotten this – stay on the line because three more city council people are joining us the next hour. But, A, very quickly, where do you think this is going to go, the, man, the mandatory minimum in, in, in the council? Very quick <laughs> thoughts. Quick I, thoughts.
2: I wish it were going to the public safety committee.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Shannon.
1: I think it's – I, unfortunately, I think – um, it's only a number of us who are holding strong that we don't support it. So,
0: And there's four undecideds that, that, could, that could sway it one way or the other, <laughs> right?
1: Well, I, I think it's a good dialogue
3: conversation that's going on. It's healthy, but the public safety committee should come up with a plan too. So if everybody needs to have a plan. We can't keep criticizing what somebody else not doing. Or we don't like that. Come so up with a plan and we all sit down at the table together and debate it as a council, and we come up with our own plan.
0: So we have a minute left. What about your hearing for the for the, the tents?
3: Um, that is, I don't. It actually is is a uh, the some papers did a study on um, um, renters in Baltimore City, and I'm not talking about renters that don't pay the rent. But you want to create a, a legal defense a, a legal fund? Legal fund because there's not an even level playing field when the when the landlords go landlords go to court. They have, they have an agent. A lawyer or manager the tenant who are already struggling to pay their rent cannot afford a lawyer and they can't represent themselves so that is an issue all over the country the and state tried to pass it with um, uh, delicate Rosenberg and then um, uh, State Senator Catherine Pugh so we spend 2.7 million dollars on not keeping people in a rental property and 1.3 on keeping them there, there's a big discrepancy, so we should start addressing that and looking at it because we also create more homelessness in the city.
0: Let's control our own budget. Councilman uh, Robert Stokes, 12th District, good to have you in the studio. Thank you. Bob. Always good to see you. Uh, Councilman Shannon Snead, great to have you in the house. Yeah, thank 13th you 13th District, glad you could us. come. Uh, lovely to see uh, that beautiful little baby growing up. And uh, Councilman Ryan Dorsey, 3rd District, always great to have you in the house, man.
2: Thanks so much for being the
0: house. (laughs) (laughs) I will be as long as I can. Thank you all so much. We'll take a very short break. We'll come back, three more city council people join us to continue the conversation. Bill Henry, Mayor Pat Clark, Christopher Burnett. Burnett. So don't hang up. Uh, We'll read you other emails as well. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. On the way back to our three new council members joining us, Bill Henry, Mary Pat Clark, and Christopher Burnett, I want to remind you that programs like this are brought to you in part by MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank. It belongs to you, and money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We continue our discussion with members of the City Council. Three new members are joining us in the studio now. We have Councilman Bill Henry from District No. 4. Good Thanks, to see Mark. you, Bill. Good to see you. Councilwoman Mary Pat Clark from District No. 14. Good, good to morning. have you here.
10: Thanks for inviting me.
0: And Councilman Christopher Burnett and District 8. Good to see you here. Thank you for having me. Just saw Councilman Burnett last week, was it? At yeah. School 64. Mm-hmm. Town at hall the meeting. Forest Park Town Hall meeting, my old elementary school. Uh, it was good to, have to see you there. It was a really interesting town meeting, I thought especially since two of the officers there who were African-American both lived in the community. Mm-hmm. Which wow, I
4: that's great.
0: Which And that, that said a lot about their attitude towards their neighborhood as well as more. So that was that was a very interesting meeting, I thought, it was a very interesting Agreed. meeting. Agreed. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. John and Jason and Clarence and Ernest, you've been holding on for the last hour, so Clarence, will be the first person we come to, uh, and, and I'm glad you called. You can also write to us here at talk at org. And Valerie is sending us our tweets, at Mark Steiner, if you want to tweet us, also on our Facebook page. And we have a Facebook conversation going on. Should police officers uh, live in Baltimore, go to our Facebook page and um, write your thoughts about that. And we'll read them on the air as well, 410-319-8888. So there's a lot going on. And uh, we'll also talk a bit later on the show about Councilwoman Mm. um, Mary Pat Clark's bill coming up. Oh, informal do don't you have formal
10: conferences? Yes. Oh, yes. Can we talk about that?
0: We will do that in a little bit. Yes. Oh,
10: excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so, Thank you so much. Coming up. So, I was just thinking about worrying that worrying we wouldn't get a chance. I'm, we're going
0: to get a chance. So um, let's, let's go back to where we started here um, and before we hit the phones. And Clarence, we're going to come to your call in just a minute. But uh, so where, where do the three of you stand on the proposal for the mandatory minimums? Uh, that the mayor is proposing. Interesting to me, as I said at the top of the other program, uh, but the other three other councilmen was that it was interesting. The the, the one glaring uh, absence at that press conference was our state's attorney, who was not there, nor she made a public comment really about her support or lack of support for that legislation with any clarity. But she was not there, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and uh, but that's so anyway. Well, well, one thoughts. thing
10: I think is important, and I, I think Chris should go first on this because he's um, he just should but I just want to say this is one good thing that has come out and, and Bill and Chris have been very instrumental in this is that we were gonna have had behead- was sitting at a, at a hearing today after introducing a bill yesterday that's a little quick and we and so in terms of like the um, uh, state's attorney um, I saw a one-liner from her, but this—the the press conference was about this—was called very quickly. This will give us a chance to have it to ask her to come on over or to send a message to us about her own um, involvement in, in what her, she will do. She, she being Mos, Mosby, yes. I'm sorry, uh, the yeah, state's yeah. attorney yeah, Marilyn yeah, right, 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 right. Mosby. So, I mean, hardly any. I didn't even see a finished copy of this bill until. Yesterday, I was I saw a draft over the weekend.
0: See, so yeah, it was a little. So fast.
10: it was. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying it was overly rushed, but it's slowed down enough now that we can pick up these pieces that you're raising.
0: Christopher Bennett. Uh,
11: so yeah, I, I I'm, I'm glad we've pushed it back a week, and would encourage all of the folks for and against to come to the hearing next Tuesday at 10 a.m. fourth floor in City Hall um, to to weigh in. Uh, it's it's very important for us as legislators to hear from the community uh, and and. There've been professionals who work on these these, these things. Um, so, to your original question, where do we stand? Um, I've been very outspoken against this. Um, I, I believe that mandatory minimums are too broad of a brush uh, to to work with when there is so much nuance when it when it comes to uh, issue any issue, whether it's drug laws or gun laws. Um, but but secondly, we know they don't work, uh, and that's been the, the challenge for me. Is that this this sort of legislation is not innovative. It's not new. It's not something that hasn't been tried before. Uh, in fact, we have over 30 years of, of data to look at and outcomes to look at in cities like New York and, and Illinois, uh, Florida, Maine, um, Boston. I mean, there's, there's all over the country. Virginia has, have tried uh, mandatory minimums. In fact, three states rolled them back um, because they were ineffective. They did not show a reduction in violent crime. And the citizens of Baltimore are asking us to put forth policy that results in a reduction in violent crime. And we know that this will not do that. Uh, in fact, I was, I was talking to a constituent of mine who's very tuned in to, to, the, to the streets, I'll say. And he said, you know, folks are already talking about handing guns to, to their little man, to kids, to carry for them. Um, you know, because they, they're, they're smart. They know the law. Like, no one's going to walk around um, with a firearm they've used in a murder uh, and, and just stand on the corner waiting for an officer to come take it from them and arrest. I mean, it's not that... If it was that simple, gun arrest wouldn't be down 30%. Uh, and that's the, the push that we've had with the police department is that, you know, the, or the challenge, I'll say, is if gun arrests are down, then how are we putting forth a policy as if this will be a solution? You still have to make the arrest. The prosecutor still has to bring the charge, which in this instance, this just shifts, shifts the discretion uh, of sentencing discretion from the judge to the prosecutor, essentially. Um, but you still have to win the case. And, uh, and, and, and I think at the end of the day, we'll, what we will, we will happen is we'll see more people taking trial. So we will see more people incarcerated. We will see more people in pretrial, which has a cost and has an impact. Because um, why, why would you take a plea deal? if you could just go to trial and fight it, because the plea deal is going to be in one year uh, in- instead. So you'll see more people in Baltimore City jails. And we know that uh, after arresting 100,000 people under zero tolerance, that mm-hmm. putting more people in jail does not make our city safer.
0: So, uh, and, and having said that, Bill Henry, wh- what is your position? Are you for against this idea?
12: I- uh, well, I will tell you um, that when, uh, you know, speaking to um, the earlier comment that this was moving very fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I first heard about this last Thursday evening. Uh, I got a call from the council president's office telling me that this legislation was going to be introduced and there was going to be a press conference uh, the next morning, and everybody was on board. And my first question actually was about the state's attorney um, because uh, I do recognize that when you're taking the discretion away from the um, the judges, you're giving it to the prosecutor. Um, and I asked whether or not she had made any type of uh, strong commitment on how she would be using this additional authority. And I think that there was an expectation before the press conference that the state's attorney was going to be making a stronger statement than she the, she made. So, um, I asked this again at lunch yesterday. Um, I asked the police department to go back to the state's attorney and get a stronger statement, and I'll be reaching out myself. Um, I haven't made a decision on where I'm gonna vote on this. Uh, I
0: what are you well, well, so what are you wrestling with
12: i'm 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 wrestling with the fact that um, people who know more about this than I do disagree on whether or not this will help <laughs> that 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 is the part like I, I you know, I've seen some of the same studies that um, that that Chris was referring to that mandatory minimums in general don't work I'm also getting um, back the statistics that say that um, the judges are suspending 60% of the sentences for gun related um, charges that are coming to them and um, what i have though is just anecdotal on how many of that 60% that they're suspending are the repeat violent offenders who are actually um, responsible for most of the shootings and homicides <laughs> in our city and how many of the ones that they're suspending are the first time offenders the you know the young uh, you know I understand relatively recently there was a you know a, a student right here at Morgan who was caught with a gun in his backpack. Um, now, um, if that went for the judge, the kid had no prior offenses, um, if the judge suspended that sentence, I think that's the outcome that we would want in terms of we would not want to put this kid in jail just for feeling like he had to carry a gun around to be safe but at the same time i feel um like it's not responsible for us to be sending the message that it's okay to carry a gun around just so that you feel safe and so i'm kind of struggling with what do what what type yes man if the the studies show that the mandatory minimums aren't an effective deterrent but what is an effective deterrent you know what? What is what should we be doing mm-hmm. to 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 convince our otherwise law-abiding citizens don't have the gun on you just so that you're you know you're less afraid of the criminals carrying the guns mm-hmm. because you are making yourself a criminal by carrying it. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and Mary Peck-Clark, what are you saying on this issue?
10: Well, I I'm a, a i am aai think I'm leaning toward. Approval, but I sh- sh- I'm sure you know I'm not there yet. And l- then let me why tell you why. leaning towards approval? Well, because I've been talking to a lot of people, and um, basically, I've been listening to a lot of people and thinking about it, and how and how this is an effort to uh, l- just hear me out to hear make that. people feel as if something positive can happen while we try to reverse the course of of things and get ourselves back on track here in Baltimore City in terms of crime. Now, my concern, I mean, once we have a hearing, and it's not the next minute from the introduction, but a week later, I began to think about, you know, what people were saying about what we need to know, what we need to know about this. One of the things we need to know is given... um, if if there's a minimum s- sentence for even carrying an, an an unregistered gun in Baltimore City on uh, driving with it or walking with it or whatever, if there is, and people have high expectations that that is somehow going to make a difference in a positive way in Baltimore around guns, what's the plan? Um, Bill mentioned uh, the regular um, violent offenders, the repeat. Violent offenders, we talk about that all the time because that is a focus or should be a focus of course of any any city's plan as it was in the past um, to go after repeat violent offenders um, to try to get them off the street because they 're at the root of the problem, however, and gun play however um is that part of the plan? What If we have this quote-unquote tool, how will we make it effective so that the expectations and hopes of the general population about it can be met? What What's the plan? So um, that's really why I haven't made up my mind because I haven't heard from people, I haven't heard from the public, and I haven't, not in an organized way that a hearing will bring us, and now we're going to have it, so I, I'm looking forward to it, and that's what I'm looking for. What's the plan that says, okay, here's a tool. Here's how we can use it. What we really need, of course, is the protection um, of, of more uh, police officers in our neighborhoods to prevent you think crime. think we need
0: more police officers?
10: Absolutely. We've got 99 in training right now, so at least the good news is there's more in training than we've had for a long time. But can we maintain that? How do we do that? It, that's part of a strategy and a plan that, that we also need to know about. In other words, it's a tool. This is a tool. It may be not an effective tool. I, so, I'm not dismissing what's being said
0: whatsoever. So, l- unless Chris, you want to say something fast? I'm going to go to the phone here, but
11: uh yeah I mean i think part part of so you know the, i I feel like I've been very vocal about like yeah. looking at looking at the past, looking at other jurisdictions. The other thing I'll say about this bill uh that I think needs to be clarified is and something that my colleague mentioned is that you know we said illegal weapons, but this also would impact a security guard that has a permit to carry that may be outside of the scope of work uh, which has happened um this would uh, impact a legal a, a person that has a in an, an individual that has a permit to carry that has the weapon and transports it outside of where they're supposed to um, this would affect anyone that maybe if, if they have, you know, they're, they're, it's just too broad, right? If you get in a vehicle, uh, this is an example that was given to me by a constituent of mine that uh, a young man got into a vehicle, uh, someone else had a gun in the car, they got pulled over, all four or all, both of them were charged uh, with the gun um, and ended up having, he ended up taking the charge for a friend under this under this bill they, that young man would get one year. Um, in prison if prosecuted. And yeah. and I think those are the areas that we also need to do our due diligence on. And um, that, yes, there is prosecutorial discretion, but we're also assuming that like, we're criticizing judges for not using sound judgment, but then we're now saying that somehow the prosecutor would use sound judgment and when they actually choose to use this law. And really, all we have done is shifted discretion. Um, but the rational use of it is still
12: going to be in the hands of a prosecutor or the judge.
0: So, I want to get phone. Yeah,
12: re- really quickly, what I would say is, um, I think Chris is making some great points. Um, there those two different kinds of situations though like the second one, the last one where there's a couple people in the car and who is the one actually with the gun that's the one where we're le- where we're really leaving it up to the discretion we have the ability though as the legislators we can we can put restrictions on the overall bill i mean it's very broad right now but we could carve out exceptions for you know a security guard you know like the one you know, we we have we we could put in a requirement that this only applies to violent repeat offenders, but um, what you know when I when I proposed that <coughs> to the police, the, the response I got was, "Well, then, what message are we sending to the people who are carrying guns not because they're violent repeat but offenders, you, but me, just to feel but, safe.
0: but but do you really think that 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 look? If if I'm if I'm in the trade and I'm dealing drugs. Do you think you could, you're going to threaten me with a year in jail that's going to stop me from carrying a gun? No. I mean, I mean, that's not going to stop me from carrying a gun. Which really or, – or, b- or, or if I'm terrified because my brother or sister got shot and I'm carrying this gun because I want to make sure I don't get shot between home and school, that that's going to stop me from carrying a gun?
12: That's – I think that's who they're trying to target. Yeah, but
0: that, does, I mean, that doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Some
11: people would rather face 12 jurors than be carried in the casket. Like, they're going to take their chance. Face
12: 12 rather than be carried by 6.
11: That's the reality of living in the streets here. No one is going to carry a butter knife so that they don't go to jail for a year. Like, if you are in that situation where you are concerned about your life, whether it's one year, 10 years. And in fact, the average sentence for murder in Maryland, uh, per my research, is 17 years. So if the threat of going to jail for any length of time was a deterrent, we wouldn't be sitting at over 190 well, that's some music so, that comes so, up so, at
0: 22 after the hour. So, so, let, 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 me, let me see what our listeners are thinking. 410-319-8888. Clarence, you've been holding on a long time. You're on the air. Welcome. Line 5. Good morning,
13: Mark. Good morning, Good
0: morning Clarence.
13: Um, this is a very complicated issue, and I've been listening, um, one, all your council people, the mayor and everybody, they need to sit down and all of this jaw job, job, and back and forth. It's poverty, it's education, it's parents that are not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, you have the police department, you have murders of young black males. Freddie Gray was killed. No one's being held accountable in the police department. You have the seven officers who were knocking and robbing and stealing, but no one's accountable. And then you have the city council. They come up with a bill. Well, if you lock people up, Johnny's carrying a gun because he's afraid. you had the Morgan kid. Well, if he pulls that gun, he's going to eventually shoot somebody. Now you have another murder. What are you going to do? But the last episode, I'll I send a challenge out to the mayor and the congresspeople. They brought up Carver and Mergenthaler. If you get up in the morning and you're living in a dirty, rat-infested, road-infested house, and you go to school... And that school is the same way, and there's no respect from the adults there. What do you expect? So I'm a product of Baltimore City Schools. I'm a product. I lived in the city all my life until 16 years ago. So I'm asking, sit down and talk about this and think about what you're going to be doing with your bill. And it, it's, it, it's about people the same areas that erupted during the riots in 67, 68, were the same areas, and people are tired. People are tired of living in poverty. People are tired of not having jobs. People are tired of not having food. So, those are my comments, and Mark, uh, you will be missed, buddy.
0: Thank you, Clarence. Bye-bye. Thank you. Let's get another caller in here before Thanks we go to break. Plans, come, yeah. right, come right back to our council well members. Said. Well said. 410 319 Let's go to Brother Jason. You're on the airline three.
14: Good, good morning,
0: family. And good morning. Good morning. morning.
14: Good morning, council uh, people. I love uh, all my council folks up there on the panel this morning. Um, <laughs> those that know me know that I, I was a street boy, and when I was a street boy, you best to believe, I told a gun. gun. Uh, I'm full circle of what I used to be uh in my adolescence. I'm now the uh president of the Irvington Merchants Association. Uh right. business operator. Um I'm a community activist. Um I'm at a stage in my life where I say that I'm I'm atoning for my sins to my community. Uh but uh, being a community activist and being out in the streets and trying to make the changes in Irvington and in my community, uh my life has been threatened. Um, my business has been threatened. Uh, so you best to believe uh, that I may tout a gun. Um, it's not to say that I'm a bad person. It's just that at the end of the day, I want to go home to my family. And unfortunately, with the state and condition of policing in Baltimore City the way that it is, I'm very fearful that I may not make it home to my family. Um, we just had a shooting in Loudon in Irvington just recently. Um, and when the shooting happened, uh, the, within hours, a group of armed men came back to the community looking for whoever had shot their homeboy or their friend. Um, no police was around. Um, so I think I would rather take my chance uh, with this ordinance um, at the end of the day uh, to make it home to my family. Um, you know, and we know that these minimum mandatory sentences don't work. Um, the National Black Caucus is totally against uh, minimum ma- mandatory sentencing. Um, And in many cases, folks like Congresswoman uh, Waters has fought diligently to reverse these mandated laws. Um, We need to leave the judiciary judiciary, uh, discretion to the judges. That's very important. Um, If we take that power away, um, I, I just don't know what type of condition we will create for our community, because again, these young men have to come back at some point. So if you start cycling these young men in one year, or eventually five years, um, because that's the law that eventually the, the mayor right. wants to look at five years, you know you're going to have little Pookie and little Peanut coming back into the community um, with recidivism issues, with reentry issue, issues, and then we have to deal with these issues within our community as activists.
0: All right, Our Brother Jason, I pre- appreciate the call. We'll come back and get the comment about what you said and, and the other callers have said, and we will get to uh, John, Dwayne, uh, Ernest, James, you all called him. We're going to get your calls as well. Um, 410-319-8888, as we sit here with Councilman Bill Henry, Councilwoman Mary Pat Clark, and Councilman Christopher Christopher, Christopher Burnett. Sorry, Chris. Uh, as we wrestle with the question, should there be a mandatory minimum, the way the mayor is proposing, for carrying a gun on the streets of Baltimore, and we'll also talk about uh, how I think Mary Pat Clark's hearing coming up uh, about uh, about water bills fits right. into this because I think it does. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. I'm here with three of our city council members, and our two-hour special with six of our city council representatives. We are here with Fourth District Councilman Bill Henry, Eighth District Councilman Christopher Burnett, Christopher Burnett. Why am I doing that to your name, Christopher? Christopher Burnett, one of our great new young council people who's just elected to the city council. I call he and uh, Ryan and Shannon and Zeke and a bunch of them, like, kind of the future of our city. I'm very happy that they're all been elected and. And have We and are, have the too. Worst. It
10: makes our lives very productive and very interesting. And
0: that's the voice of Mary Pat Clark, councilwoman from the 14th right. District. the den <laughs> mother
10: of it all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Councilman Den Mother. I love it. 410 I was a den mother. Actually, so I know how to do <laughs> we, it. But Yeah, I mean, you are like, yeah.
10: Right. Yeah, I was a den mother. Turns out the
12: scouts sure. were really very important. I can I know so. how to
10: ma- use dry ice to make blue and yellow mm-hmm. um, smoke. And a powwow. Ah,
0: ah, ah, I, let, let's talk about that. No. Let's no, not talk about smoke now. But anyway, so. <laughs> let's focus so, on the mirrors. Let's, let's come back to talk about what these last two callers said before we go back to the phones or the emails here. So Yeah. Um, and and what your thoughts are on what they both said. And, and Christopher, I think that one of them was from your from your district. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll just read this quick tweet on the end uh, before we go into that. Uh, at Mark Steiner, Dr. Amina tweeted in, creating laws that will destroy individuals, families, and communities so that people, quote unquote, feel better is unacceptable. Then retweeted in, then tweeted in again, they would feel better, quote, again, by the symbolic act that will have the real consequence of expanding mass incarceration. Chris? I, I agree um and
11: and and to to the caller jason uh i do work closely with him uh in the, on that irvington corridor he sounds great uh a great guy um definitely and, and and i and i and i think he he hit a very touching Or well, he didn't mention a, a big point but uh he's very active in that corridor um and has been working with the irvington community association uh led by lady miss cunningham who is also very active and has done direct outreach to a lot of these guys to, to talk to them and, and get a better understanding of what it will take for them to turn to, to choose a different lifestyle. Um, we have the Enoch Pratt Job Center there and we're trying to use that and My Brother's Keeper and bring in other resources to really turn that community around. Um, it's also going to be the location of a, uh, a weekend of uh, Operation uh, Ceasefire activities for that weekend. Um, and, and the reason for that is is the folks, as Bill shows his T-shirt, uh, yes. and, I, and I support that campaign. Um, yeah, absolutely. Me because, too. Because I fully believe that, you know, the real answer to these solutions comes from the community. It comes from pushing for resources in our community from really pushing for, for trauma uh, care and mental health services and wraparound services and job training and placement. Though That's how we, we change the culture of violence in the city and I think that's that's the, the thing that we should be continuously working on as legislators is how do we support folks like Jason and Dorothy uh, who are doing the work and live in the communities and know what, what their neighborhoods actually need and, and pushing people to build relationships with our young people, right? And I've told stories about how I had a break-in in my house and the kid next door, I think he knew uh, who did it. I don't, I don't think it was him. Um, but what was clear after that was I was on a mission to not get more police on my block, but to build more relationships with the young people on my block. And sure enough, I haven't had an issue since. Uh, and now I know who every kid is on the block. Maybe not know them all by name, but by face. Some of them, the little ones think I'm the mayor, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe it will be. One yeah. day. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you know, they just—they just know I, I do something downtown. Um, but you know, the, the relationship piece has made a tremendous difference on their relationship to me and my neighbors. And I think that's where we have to start. Is. How do we really start to build, rebuild the sense of community in, in, yeah. in neighborhoods that don't have it, um, and, and bring in resources that have experienced historical disinvestment, and 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 that's I, and working very closely with the health department because I, I believe it's criminal for us to not treat violence as a public health crisis.
0: So let me ask you this question, Bill. Since you talking about being on the fence, let I me mean, just kind of push the fence a little bit. Um.
12: You know, rattle, the and and
0: rattle the fence. See which side I fall on. Yes. Well, you, 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 you're, you're a thoughtful man. You'll you'll fall on whatever side you kind of end up thinking about. But I'm I, so I'm deciding to. But the, before we go back to the phones here, um, i harken back to conversations we had in this pro, on this program back in the early '90s when we first went on the air um, about mass incarceration. and the debates I had face to face with Martin O'Malley and days, and he was beginning his idea of locking up hundreds of thousands of people which, which happened in Baltimore. I also remember that in Congress these debates were taking place. Many people in, the, in, in poor communities and black communities, poor black communities were terrified. A good portion of the Congressional Black Caucus sided with mass incarceration at that time. Mm-hmm. And we saw what the results were. Right. Not all of them, but a number of people did. So, I mean, w- what about that? The, the consequence of the possible effect of this being further incarceration of young men and women who might be able to be saved and kind of brought into society through programs that they get s- stopped and busted by them being put in prison I mean what about that?
12: so the the first thing I'll say is that ratcheting up penalties is not the same thing as saying you're going to increase the amount of actual incarceration what you're doing is I mean that the whole point is you're trying to do something to deter people from caring then, Seeing whether or not it actually gets used to send huge amounts of people away for a year, that would be from from my perspective, even for the proponents of this bill, that would be a failure, because they're 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 saying their goal is to deter people from carrying the guns, um, and that you know just to circle back, that's why I'm looking for. Um, more clarity from the state's attorney on how she intends to actually use this because if it's her intention to actually press these charges on every single person who comes across regardless if you get caught you're going to have this charge pressed no matter what the circumstances are no matter whether or not you're a violent repeat offender or you're you know a kid who made a bad judgment call or was scared um if that's her intention, then I, yeah, I would say that that would likely lead to the kind of mass incarcerations which we've already seen. Um, just make the problem worse in the long run. But if it's her intention to use this as a scalpel, a, a scalpel rather than a machete, you know, where mm. she's carving out the people who, frankly, society would be better off if they were somewhere else for a year. Um, if that's her intention, and that's what she's going to commit to, then this may have a deterrent effect I know, and this is I know we we can argue about this um and I think we will um it's one of the times where I'm actually glad that the next council meeting isn't until right. the middle of August because it means that even if the hearing is um Next week. Ne- next week, even if, the, even if the official public hearing is next week. Right, we have no regardless, to vote. Regardless of what the Judiciary Committee decides um, in terms of moving forward or not, the other eight members of the city council, um, we've got another several weeks after that to listen to our constituents and to hear. And, and, and just to go back to a, an earlier statement um, where – how important is it that people feel safe versus um, a practical effect? Um, I think one of the uh, the, the things people don't want to say about this is that there is a public policy benefit to making people feel safe. There, There is, um, because there's still the issue of how many people in Baltimore are actually at risk of violent crime on a regular basis versus how many feel like they are, and um, the more people who feel like they are at risk, the more likely you are going to have people doing similarly illegal things to try to protect themselves, and we don't want to see uh, we don't want to see that spread either. So well,
10: uh, I mean, basically, that's that's. You can see what a serious issue this is and how complicated it is for us here in the city council. I'm just glad I'm part of this council where there are so many people um, who are at, from, you know, from the president um, on down to the rest of us um, who are seriously concerned about this and, and working on it. I, I, m- me, for one, um, uh, Brandon Scott talks about a plan. The mayor talks about a plan. Um, the commissioner talks about a plan, and um, uh, uh, where does this fit into the plan? How is this to be perceived? What is uh, – I'm, I'm not – I mean, basically, how is this part of the plan? Is it preventive? Is it um, to prevent people – make people think twice before they pick up a gun and carry it in Baltimore City? Because it's all the city. And, um, or is it is it the violent uh, the, the regular um, repeat violent offenders? Is it somehow part of a plan there which should is already part of a bigger plan? What what where does everything fit together as we rebuild the police department through recruitment and training at, under new guidelines that will, I hope, and I'm sure, bring the police into cl- closer community relationships with the neighbors themselves.
0: Well, one would hope. They haven't seen that so far, though.
10: Well, but we're ta- I'm talking about a class that's in session right now, for example. Of, of
0: recruits, you're talking about? Yes. Right. Yes. So let me go back to the phone here. We'll come right back to the, uh, Chris and the others. And and I just as uh, to read also that um, we had a um, on our Facebook page a continuing argument about whether officers should live in the city. <coughs> the latest comment comes from Ricardo Manderson. Yes, it's absolutely absurd that any Baltimore City institution is allowed to operate with a code of silence, especially when the members of the organization don't even live here. Uh, the city is being held hostage by outsiders. Uh, and the continuing debate on our Facebook page here about whether or not officers should be required to live in Baltimore City. Um, and 410-319-8888, Dwayne, you're on the air. Welcome.
6: Yeah, I thanks on uh, on. for taking my call. Hey, hey Liz. Here, the business, the bottom line. Okay, and we all need to stop pretending. them have a crime problem, a murder problem. Okay, and all these people talking about, well, you know, you know, being soft on crime is the best solution, and just let's just all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, ten years from now that can work. But you guys need to walk and chew gum at the same time. We need an acute, we need uh, an acute solution for right now. Okay, to stop the bleeding, and and while we're trying to stop the bleeding, you can work on this comprehensive plan and and make this, this this great, you know, comprehensive deal that you want because we certainly need that as well. But we have a problem that needs to be solved right now. We need to stop the bleeding now. The patient is dying. The reputation of Baltimore, the economic reputation, all all of it is connected to the bad reputation that Baltimore has about his crime. So we need to do something right now and you can all, all and you can certainly work on a comprehensive solution, but the, the people of Baltimore need relief now. Mm.
0: And you think, and you, Duane, before I quote, yes or no, you think that this is the bill to require a mandatory minimum sentence for someone who carries a gun is, is a solution?
6: I, I think that I think that it is part of the solution. It is not a magic bullet, okay? As the councilmen have already stated, it's going to have to be a comprehensive plan that's going to cure us all of these ills, okay? But we need something right
0: now, okay, we got you
6: now.
0: got that, so well said thoughts so, so okay so um i
12: i I talked yesterday with um, uh, members of the police department about um, I know that the uh, councilman Scott has been pushing oh. on the administration to come up with a crime reduction plan and um, and i don 't want to get in the way of what' that what he 's he's right. doing and i'm i 'm not on the public safety committee. But um, but crime is not just you know crime reduction is not just the responsibility of the police department. Um, the police department, you know, they are they 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 are in general a deterrent for crime. But the police department don't reduce motive, doesn't reduce motive. And at the end of the day, a lot of crime is committed because people want or need to commit crimes, and that has to do with a range of things that are all the result of disinvestment in human capital throughout the neighborhoods. The person, if there is anybody in Baltimore City whose job it is to figure out a plan to reverse that, that would have to be the mayor because only the mayor is in the position to do the variety of different social policies to address the different parts of life that need to be addressed so that people don't want to be committing these crimes in the first place. And, and, what, and I will say what bugs me about this is that it is coming out in isolation that it showed up on thursday of last week it's being it was introduced yesterday you know in an i you know by their by their lights ideally we'd be almost done with the public hearing on it right now and it would be coming out um and and my guess is if we had gone that route we probably would have scheduled an extra council meeting um, to try to put it in place faster um, but 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 what, what so bothers me is that this is being done in isolation. It's not being done along with um, a commitment to increase the funding for safe streets. It's not being done in you know in in alignment with um, an understanding that we're going to be expanding job opportunities for um, felon, you know returning felons um, or people in reentry. That's the kind of I mean we need a holistic approach to reducing crime in Baltimore City and this is just I, I not—I refuse to use the gun metaphors again. This is just one thing in isolation and whether or not it's good or bad we'll figure out but it makes me still well, wish there I, was something comprehensive. Can I say something. Yeah, I do,
0: okay, I want to get to Chris too so yeah. oh, I'm and fine, I don't yeah. want to get to the phones but go ahead
10: uh, No I just want to say that I, that's what I've been trying to say here turn it into a holistic, um, turn it into the holistic uh, initiative that you're talking about. Tie it to some of the crucial elements that we need clarification about and commitments upon. Um, so uh, so that's what, uh, you know, that's what I mean plan. I'm not in the, dis- whatever the conversation is between the committee and the mayor, et cetera. I, but I live here I represent a whole lot Of people here Who are afraid And trying to protect themselves um, And need help to do it From from the police When they can and,
11: Chris and I'll, and I'll say this um, The other piece of it That I think has Frustrated me a little bit Around the dialogue Is on one end You know A lot of our constituents And a lot of Uh, my colleagues uh, both locally on the state are on one hand saying we need to create job opportunities we need to push people in the workforce training programs we need to and and a lot of constituents want that what do you i get that a lot what are you going to do about jobs there's a lot of guys on these corners that need jobs but then on the other hand they're saying well let's give people more things on their criminal record by locking them up uh for gun possession which is a step backwards because you come out. People are not going to be gone forever. They, under this law, they'd be gone for a year, uh, and they come back a year later with a, a longer criminal record than they came in with. And if prisons were a place that people were actually reformed, where they could build a skill or get counseling or get drug treatment, that maybe they come out better. But we know for sure that's not the case. So when people come out, they learn to be a more sophisticated criminal and they are less employable than they were a year ago. And so what I'm saying is, yeah, we do have to do something now. I totally agree with that. Like there was just a shooting in my district last night on Baltimore and Hilton. Like it, people are dying in this city and I, and I'm not, I'm not naive to that, but to do something that would send us back, you know we we we're, I'm still gonna be here and if, if re-elected reelected I'll be here in 2020 right so the now we'll, a year later we'll have even more people that are unemployable and then folks will say well what are you gonna do about jobs you know what are you gonna do to get these guys a job well why would I want to make it harder now it doesn't make any sense that we will have to deal with this situation whether we do it now or we do it in two years we're gonna have and and this is the challenge that we've come the outcome of zero tolerance policing is now we had a hundred thousand people with a criminal background and then we're still saying well What about, there's no jobs for these folks. It's hard to get, it. then we have to do ban the box legislation. We have to do this, we have to put in additional legislation to try and open the same doors that we closed with policing policy and and judicial policy. So why go down that road again when we know that there are deeper and deeper challenges that we're going to have to deal with uh, whether the violence is reduced or not, people are still going to have to get jobs and support their families. And whether they do that selling drugs or they do it the legal way, they're going to have to find a way. I'd rather try and push them the legal way. And, that, and that, that comes from
0: building them up, not tearing them down. Let me hit the phones here, 410-319-8888. And John, you're on the air.
15: Oops. How you doing? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, first, I want to say that I was a city resident, a former city resident. Uh, I was born and raised in Baltimore City, educated in Baltimore City. I still have relatives, um, son, and a dog living in Baltimore City. Uh, I moved about 10 years ago. I like to talk to that council if you had the first hour,
0: and some of the points he brought were true, but it was some other points that I would like to bring up, But I know my time is short. So what is it? Yeah, what are your points?
15: Well, I really talk about the sheep. Um that that could have to be another story but um what? I've been a city employee for over 30 something years. I've been in the Baltimore City Fire Department
0: for over 20. Okay. And I've been in different locations
15: all over the city. And I'm not going to say where I'm working at now. That's okay. So yeah, so, so, what?
0: What, so what's the what, what do you want to get okay, to the though? The
15: thing is opportunity like this is that where I've been at now, I've been there just a little bit over a year and I've had and I'll bring it to the, the story while I'm saying this. And I started counting back to the situations of shootings. I've had at least, you hear me, at least on my ship that I personally dealt with in my area where I work at, I've had at least five fatal shootings. Five. That's on my ship that I personally sent. And the reason I say that is because that's not including the who who was wounded. But the most people we've had has been dead. And the reason I bring this up is that um, just this past Saturday, broad daylight, we had a person that was shot two blocks from the firehouse. Um, we came up on the scene. I walked. As soon as I got out, his wife was laying there. And instantly when I walked and I looked at him and I saw what he had, he had two bullet holes. And it's like the accident scene to his head. He had two bullet holes in his head. And she was talking to him. I said to myself, he's dead. This not we been do. And by the grace of God, he started moving. And the remarkable thing about it is is that when we got him into the ambulance and took him to shot trauma, he was actually talking. I don't know if he's still alive now. This was like Saturday. Okay, so
0: can can we get... The thing about it is is that that angered me because I've used to seeing shootings, you know, through my career as a thing, but I don't know the answer as to what can be done so far as gun violence
15: about so far as the the mandatory penalties but maybe if you come out and see some of the stuff I've seen you might want to change your mind because I consider myself a moderate to live up against guns and all that kind of stuff but after seeing how this guy got shot now now, two days before somebody else got shot in the same area I don't know if this was retaliation or this is just an individual thing or is somebody going to retaliate for this guy getting shot but the thing about it, it angered me seeing this kind of stuff. I don't
0: know the answer to it, but to me, um, man, so sudden is that well, one year is not enough. But okay, okay. Uh-huh. so 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 uh, so uh, uh, I I really appreciate the call a lot, and also the perspective of somebody who's a firefighter in our city who's um, out here saving lives. I right. think um, so. I mean, there's a lot of frustration in the city. Clearly,
10: there is, and people want to see but- signs of. Progress in reversing the course of the crime.
0: But the question is, does a law that ties a judge's hands from making decisions that judge themes is, is important in that case is a law that puts people in the city in jail when there might be circumstances that are that 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 that, that uh, around why that person has a gun at that moment. Not that people should be carrying guns and nobody's even justifying that. But is that the solution? Is that what we want to do? Do we want to start locking – because the way the law states now, the way the commissioner was talking, the way the mayor is talking, the way the president of the city council is talking, this is a law that if you have a gun and caught in Baltimore City with a gun on your, on your person, then you go to jail for a year.
10: Well, you have to be arrested. You have to be – No, no, no. no the, law,
0: the way they're describing it, they want a law that says – and they want to take it to the General Assembly – that that means that you go to jail if you carry a gun. Judges have no discretion. Is that what we want?
10: Well, it, I mean, that,
0: that's what the bill. Yeah. You have saying. to
10: be arrested. You have to be.
0: That's, no, no, that's what they're what? saying, though. They're saying if you are caught with a gun, you go to jail. So here. Well, here,
10: uh, that's, that, that's. You, of course you have we to be all, arrested. Everybody knows yeah. that they, they can't just pick up a person on the street and take and them over. That's what I'm saying.
0: I'm saying, if it, they're saying if you're arrested, yeah. if you're arrested well, with look, a gun. It's, then it's, you. So
10: what our conversation has been on the, mainly on the phone is. Hey, we got a problem. We don't know if this is the right solution. It's a tool in a toolbox. is it is it a worthy one? Is it even a a useful one? What surrounds it to make it part of a game plan we can play into as a community and help with? And so so that's why you have hearings. and that's why you you talk to people and like we're talking today and like we're hearing from people today. And when um, I, I heard Dwayne, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Dwayne sounds like so many of my constituents. He, he's got it. He, he's frustrated. He's a good citizen. He cares. He's not sure what the solution is, but find solutions, move us on, and that's our job, one way or another.
12: I, I I'll also point out that when you talk about tying the judge's hands, um, it that. This any any mandatory any mandatory sentence, it's not just about tying the um, the judge's hands. It's not about taking power away from the judges in a vacuum. It's about moving that power from the judge to the state's attorney. And is that, that a good that a good right, idea? And and that is that is exactly why we should be hearing more from the state's attorney. No, but even we if you do don't
0: that. hear from the state's attorney, though, I mean, it's still –
12: Well, I would say if you well, – just in general, if you want to say that – on, on, on we a flat part, the we well, should. The state's attorney at least is elected on a four-year basis where people will get a chance to do job performance on a, on a, on a far shorter span. Judges, circuit court judges only come before us once I, every 15 I, 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 years, I, I, and the district court judges never come before us at all. You
11: want what, Chris? Well, I was going to say to that point, though, that we're, we, and I agree, we do need to talk to the current state's attorney, but we may have a different state's attorney, and uh, there's an election coming up next June. And so I think that's, that's also right. the other next piece June. that we have oh. to oh, yeah. look at is that right. there are always going to be different prosecutors. She's not going to do this forever. Uh, and so whatever we put forth, and not that we can't change later, uh, we, we have the ability to do that as well. But as as legislators come and go, as prosecutors come and go, the communities are still going to be stuck with what we decide um, on August fourteenth, and and I and I think that's what we have to really consider: is this what we want? And and I'll, and I'll make another quick point uh, to your point about the tone. Um, the the police commissioner has been very aggressive with this with this uh, push to push this forward, and. I, If I was a betting man, I'd say this passes and we see a huge uptick of over-policing in black communities across the city to prove a point. Um, to show that they're doing something, and I think that is when we start to see. And this is me talking. This is perspective that who knows what actually happens. But we, I think we, we're, my concern is we move back
0: to what we did years ago. We can't so do that. so, so, so let, me, let me just very quickly. I, I apologize, Mary Pat Clark. I was going to try to get five minutes. To the end. We only have a minute left. Please tell us about the water hearing. Comment. Okay,
10: we used to have informal so sorry. water so hearings sorry. at the. So if you got a spiking bill and you couldn't afford it, you could call up the water department, and then you could make an appointment. Two weeks later, you'd go and sit before a hearing officer. You'd tell him about your problem. You'd say you were going to get it, that the plumber came and he fixed it, or the plumber came and gave you a paper that says you don't have your own leaks. There, you don't know exactly what's going on here, but you are over your head and underwater. And then that hearing officer would make a recommendation Based on the record and on what you were saying, and basically he would that recommendation would go to the head of public works, who would make the final decision about waiving some of your uh, of your expenses, and that would be that. Now that um, practice was informal; it was discontinued without notice. I have legislation to put it back in place because otherwise, we have no personal conversation going on right. with city residents um, and this would be for uh, owner occupants and tenants who have the authority to pay the water bills and um, it would give people a chance to and the hearing is when talk to somebody the hearing has not yet been scheduled okay. but it will be i'm sure um, in august or september
0: and the vote for this bill uh, the one we've been debating is this august 14th is that will take place Months- you think the Maybe. next
12: scheduled city council meeting is, is the 14th of august the 14th of august but the Both the mayor and the council president have the power to call a special meeting whenever they want. Uh, and the hearing. Well, the hearing. people should come to is the 25th of.
13: The
1: yeah, the
10: 25th at 10. 25th it's, this month, July. Uh, 10,
0: 10 o'clock. Okay.
10: Bring at, picture ID if you want to get into City Hall.
0: So, Councilman Mayor Pat Clark, Councilman Christopher Burnett, Councilman Bill Henry, thank you all so much for thank being here. Thank so you so much. Mark. And
10: thank you for a lifetime of wonderful conversations and thoughtfulness
0: thank you mary pat we love you love you too thank you all good to have you all here the Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our producers, Imani Spence. Our assistant producer is Calvin Perry. Our editing producer is Ali Post. Uh, our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews with Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org and to podcast the Mark Steiner Show and share with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. A your source for cool jazz and more. W-E-A-A 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.